if Canadian investors think that they could hide from some of that U.S. Treasury vol, we were right at the top of the list. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. In its latest announcement, the Bank of Canada held interest rates steady at 5%, opening the door to speculation. In today's episode, portfolio managers Matt Montemuro, Am Carmelkar, and your host, Mackenzie Box, discuss the central bank's downgraded outlook and when it could reach its 2% inflation target. They also explore a barbell strategy, dividend stocks, market volatility, and the U.S. earnings season. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit BMOETFs.com. That's BMOETFS.com. Hello, and welcome back to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insights Podcast with our team of experts. Thank you to everyone for continuing to tune in and to provide comments and questions each and every week. I'm today's host, Mackenzie Box, in product at BMO Global Asset Management. Today, I'm joined by Matt Montemiro and Om Karmalkar, who are here with me, both from the ETF Portfolio Management Desk. So a special thank you to both Matt and Om for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Mackenzie. All right. Well, with that, let's dive in. Matt, we're going to start with you. This week, the Bank of Canada made a decision. Can you walk us through what happened and what you see going forward and what this tells us about our fixed income positioning based on uh, the recent decision? Yep. As widely expected, the Bank of Canada maintained its policy rate at 5% and it maintained its hawkish forward guidance. So let's break this down a little bit more. You know, on the good side of it, the Bank of Canada noted that progress was being made in clearing excess demand, in cooling the economy effectively and faster, actually, than than previously forecasted. They also noted that they believe that supply and demand are starting to balance out. So those are all good things. On the flip side, uh, inflation has overshot the Bank of Canada's prior forecasts, and it's still expected to moderate only slowly. Uh, with the bank not expecting that 2% target to be in sight before at least 2025. You know, so inflation will continue to be sticky and this is going to take time. So, you know, they're basically messaging, we got to be patient. We're going to see higher rates for longer until we get there. And and potentially, you know, that might be a 2025 uh, conversation at this point. So with that, the Bank of Canada has made a made a downgrade to their economic outlook for 2023 and 2024 and increased their inflation expectations for those same periods. So on the inflation front, while we're making progress, you know, it does continue to be uh, sticky, especially in areas like shelter. So despite some recent deceleration in food prices, which is a good thing for for all Canadians, uh, the broader picture remains that the timeline to that 2% target is still well off in the distance. And there's still quite a bit of uh, upside risk to inflation that continue to persist and continue to, you know, let's say haunt the Bank of Canada in some ways. 
some of the things that you might want to take note of and that they continue to, to worry about. Built-in high inflation expectations, uh, slow to improve price-setting dynamics, you know, consistent rent pressures, and geopolitical concerns, which continue to be very, very newsworthy in, in many different regions across the world. Because of all of this, we, we expect the Bank of Canada to maintain its hawkish tone basically until the very last moment it decides to cut rates. So, you know, I think they've, they've tried to be transparent up to this point, and I think I would expect to not have as much transparency for the immediate future because I think they're going to want to, they're not going to want to tip their hand in this case. On the economic front, Canada's economic momentum is fading and, and you're starting to see the labor market become looser. That's a good thing. We believe the progress, uh, we believe that there has been progress made in inflation. As well, there's still a muted uh, hiring and wage hike in intention. So right now, that's an encouraging sign for the labor market. But they also coincide with the intensification of some lag tightening effects from last year, some QT effects. And then what we saw this last quarter, we saw a significant rise in longer term bond yields, not just in Canada, but globally. You know, that's taken domestic interest rates for, for a ride out the mid and long term of the curve. And that's in itself a form of tightening. And often, you know, will will probably be enough right now for the, the Bank of Canada to sit on their hands and see how things roll. So with the bond sell off that we've experienced, Rates uh, rapidly rising, especially in the mid and longer end of the curve. You know, that sell-off has quite obviously list, lifted the, the hurdle for, for further tightening, especially when we consider the Canadian economy and our sensitivity to interest rates. And when you look at the lag in terms of interest rates, that 18 to 24-month lag, I, know, I don't think we're even halfway through the cycle of rising mortgage payments. There's still potentially a lot of pain to be had uh, from these higher rates. So, I think the normalization of the curve with longer term rates rising is likely enough tightening to do the work for any future hikes from the Bank of Canada. So that's a good thing. I think what we're going to see is a little bit more stability in the front end, higher rates for longer. And I think that's something that it, that's at this point, you know, it's it's both central banks, Fed and Bank of Canada's mantra. But I think it's something that we can expect uh, going forward, just as we've seen this uh, yield curve normalization. So looking forward, what do I see? You know, I think the, the market continues to price in a 5% overnight rate well through 2024. You know, I think the Bank of Canada is very happy that the market is not pricing in any cuts at this point. You know, I think it wants the market to believe that it is firm on its stance and that it's going to hold rates higher for longer. You know, I think we're going to expect lower expectations for GDP, higher expectations for inflation. And that higher rates for longer continues to be the mantra that the, the bank will be tight-lipped on cuts going forward and wait till the absolute last minute before making a cut. The bank really wants to avoid a repetition of the events earlier this year when it paused its interest rate hikes, which was immediately followed by renewed activity in the housing market. We saw a lot of buyers come to the market. That all worked against the overall objective of rebalancing aggregate supply and demand, cooling inflation. So the Bank of Canada does not want that to happen. It does not want the, this pause to be seen as a buying opportunity for, for investors. It wants people to take it seriously that this is going to be higher rates for longer and cuts are going to come uh, well into the future.
With that recent pop in long-term rates, you know, we continue to see investors reconsider that barbell trade from earlier this year. We talked about it for the first few months. And then throughout the summer, that barbell trade was, you know, we were saying, okay, well, you know what, longer-term rates, there may not be an opportunity because we're going to see, we potentially could see longer-term rates rise, which is what happened. But at this point, we're seeing investors re-engage in that barbell trade. So, you know, they're moving short with something like ZST, our BMO Ultra Short-Term Bond ETF or ZCS, our BMO short corporate bond ETF, and complementing that with some long duration exposure. So ZFL, our BMO long federal bond ETF, or ZTL, our BMO long US treasury ETF. So essentially calling a near peak in rates right now, saying, okay, the the curve is normalized right now. Uh, We expect more stability going forward. We view that a barbell trade is now uh, something that could be re-implemented in portfolios and could be a, a beneficial trade in the near term. Also, we continue to view ZTIP, ZTIP, our BMO short-term U.S. TIPS index ETF, as a very strong complementary piece to a portfolio. I look at it as cheap inflation insurance the Bank of Canada continues to think that inflation is sticky, that we're going to see up, upside surprises. And right now, where one-year break-evens are, they're extremely low. So at that point, I would look at something like ZTIP as cheap insurance, a complementary piece within your portfolio to, to help stave off that final little negative impacts of stubborn and sticky inflation. So, you know, those are the those are the trades that we're seeing and the positioning that we're seeing in in uh in our ETFs uh in the last few weeks. Great. Thanks, Matt. Uh, not the news I think everyone was hoping to see, but at least we have some strategies to help navigate the market with our ETFs. Will the economy see a soft, hard, or no landing scenario? In portfolio manager Alfred Lee's latest quarterly update on positioning, he shares why inflation remains firmly in the driver's seat and provides solutions to today's pressing market challenges. Access the Q4 Portfolio and Fixed Income Strategy Reports now at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. Oh, next we're going to pass it over to you. Dividend stocks in Canada have had a pretty tough year in the rising inflation and interest rate environment. What's driving this underperformance and what does the outlook look for look like for these companies going forward? Here to date, the dividend ETF, such as ZDV, which is the BMO Canadian dividend ETF, has lagged versus the broad market. Canadian dividend companies, particularly these well-established blue chip players, have faced a very challenging year. And Usually, these companies tend to be more stable in terms of market uncertainty. But this year, there were a few challenges that these companies faced. You know, the top three, I would say, first is kind of the strong growth rally we saw start of 2023. So at the beginning of the year, we saw positive consumer sentiment. We saw good corporate earnings, which led to a recovery in broader equity markets. But if we kind of dug down and saw where those returns were coming from, most of those returns were driven by the technology sector. So this adoption of AI fueled a growth rally, which prompted a shift from these traditionally stable defensive dividend companies to more growth-oriented companies. And we saw that uh, returns in, for example, Shopify versus a grocery company like Loblaws. Second, which is, I would say, you know, one of the primary drivers 
of the underperformance has been rising interest rates. So as central banks have hiked interest rates, not just in Canada, but across the globe uh, over, the, over 2023, you know, the valuations for these dividend uh, paying stocks have been pressured. And as interest rates have risen, we've seen fixed income investments, you know, in, in bonds be more attractive compared to some of these dividend stocks, given that, you know, there's higher yields and uh, lower volatility in some of those uh, fixed income products. And finally, some of these companies have very high debt levels. So as interest rates are rising, you know, some of their, uh, the cost for servicing that debt also went up for some of these companies relative to their earnings and free cash flow. However, you know, one thing to note is that some of these companies need to borrow given that they have a capital intensive uh, business. So example would be Enbridge, which is pipelines or even telecommunication companies. So that's kind of, what's caused these companies to have a bit of a tough year uh, for 2023. However, you know, looking forward, there are uh, a few things uh, that could provide a bit of uh, shelter uh, for these companies. One would be, you know, stabilization of interest rates. Uh, you know, as Matt mentioned previously, Bank of Canada did come out and, you know, they didn't increase interest rates this meeting. So, you know, if, if uh, interest rates in terms of are starting to peak, uh, again, we're not saying that it's going to start going down, but in terms of uh, more hikes, if you're starting or getting closer to that hiking cycle, it could make these dividend stocks more attractive. Second is uh, in terms of economic weakness or if we have a hard landing, uh, these stocks tend to be much more defensive. So if we see an economic you know, slowdown, you know, focusing on these dividend stocks, they provide more stable long-term growth uh, compared to uh, more broader market companies. A simple example here would be, again, if you look at 2022, which is a very tough year for markets, uh, these companies, uh, having these companies or you know, dividend-focused companies within a uh, uh, portfolio provided that defensiveness, that lower volatility, and capital preservation. And finally, you know, I'll, just, I'll, I'll just highlight you know, in terms of the outlook, you know, Canadian, there are a few factors that will determine, you know, how these companies perform. You know, one is, of course, interest rates. If we do see inflation spiking again in, you know, Bank of Canada coming and starting to hike again, you know, we could see a bit more pain. However, you know, uh, our view is that, you know, at current valuations that these, these companies are favorable. And if, you know, there is economic weakness having these stocks or having uh, the exposure within the dividend factor within the portfolio is very prudent. You know, a few ways investors can get this exposure. Uh, one would be through ZDV, as I mentioned before. And second would be ZWC, which is our BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF. Uh, this is more for clients or investors who are more income focused. So those are two ways uh, you can get that exposure. Again, fundamentally, uh, you know, these companies are trading at much more attractive valuations, uh, given uh, given the recent downturn uh, in their prices. So I would say, uh, you know, pretty good place to start getting that dividend exposure uh, for for twenty twenty four and onwards. Great, thanks, Om. Matt, we're going to pass it back to you. Volatility has surged to end the summer and come well into the fall. Now, the unique aspect this time around is that interest rate volatility is driving volatility in the markets. Normally, it's the reverse. Can you walk us through this trend and how this compares globally? 
Yeah, absolutely, Mackenzie. And, and oh boy, it's, it's definitely something new for us to, to digest. Uh, you know, right now, market volatility continues to be fueled by fixed income markets. That's a new trend. So rate volatility is driving equity volatility. And in particular, volatility in U.S. treasuries, you know, which are often and, and are considered the world's safest asset, are once again driving volatility globally. So you see the impact that U.S. Treasury vol has across sovereign markets across the globe. You know, this is something very new for markets to have to deal with, to digest with. So there is definitely a lot of confusion in markets right now. U.S. Treasury yields have seen a sharp reversal after, you know, we saw yields spike over the last few weeks and few months. We saw the 10-year breakthrough, that 5% ceiling, uh, you know, as a resilient U.S. economy makes it hard for investors to work out and try to figure out when the Fed's rate hikes will, will stop. And I think there's just a lot of confusion as to what is the Fed's next move is going to be. The economy continues to, to seem resilient. So does that mean that we're going to need to see more rate hikes? Does is the uh, the midterm and longer term yields rising? Does that have enough of an impact to naturally cool the economy uh, without the Fed having to do the work on the overnight rate? That's something that a lot of market participants are gauging right now. So rate cuts continue to get pushed out further and further out the curve as the Fed keeps saying higher rates for longer. And it's it's you know does the market believe them? That's the big question right now. Making things more difficult and basically adding to the issue here is the surging uh, number of government bond issuance that we're seeing in the U.S., but also globally. Geopolitical concerns, they've been uh, throughout the summer and we've seen them spike, obviously, over the last few weeks. That's all making volatility uh, at highs uh, across all markets and makes it a lot more confusing uh, for investors to figure out what's next, how to play this uh, this new environment. Uh, we've seen volatility in the bond market for some time. You know, so we we saw it rise and remain elevated since the Fed basically started raising rates last year. So that's when we first started to see rate volatility rise above kind of historical levels. But for the most part, that hasn't had a real material long term impact. Uh, on the volatility in equity markets. So, you know, rate volatility, yeah, that was high, but equity market volatility remained pretty in line with its with its historical norms. So, you know, that was something new, but it was it was more a bond issue than anything else. Now we're starting to see that bond volatility has spiked and it's starting to infect equity markets. Just to give you an idea of the magnitude of some of these moves, in the last 10 days, the volatility of the 20 plus year US Treasury, so you want to use our ZTL as a proxy here, is more than 15% higher than the S&P 500. So you can use our ZSP as the proxy for the S&P 500. The volatility on US, the long-term US Treasuries was 15% higher than the S&P 500. And if you compare this to the traditional relationship, the 20-year average is that the US Treasuries are 2% lower than the S&P. So this is quite the paradigm shift. It, it, it's flipped the relationship on its head and it, you can see the magnitude of how volatile the, the long treasury space has been over the last uh, few weeks. So right now the market is confused and, and with confusion breeds more volatility. 
So, you know, I think it's stemming. Uh, it, the U.S. Treasury volatility is bleeding into markets globally. We're starting to see it in bond markets around the world, uh, leading to uh, many bond markets seeing volatility spike well beyond historical norms. Canada is actually one of only a handful of markets that has seen their bond market experience more volatility than U.S. Treasuries. It's Canada, it's Israel, then it's the U.S., which is, you know, quite a telling uh, you know, three countries right there. And it's likely due to our market structures a little bit unique and our close links to the U.S. But if Canadian investors think that they could hide from some of that U.S. Treasury vol, no, we, we were right at the top of the list in terms of uh, what we've experienced over the last few weeks. Compounding just that issue is just the widespread increase in issuance by the U.S. Treasury and others globally. So we're seeing central banks issue more and more debt right now. Uh, and, and central banks have turned from buyers into sellers. And this has really changed market dynamics in a very short period. So investors are kind of stuck here now saying, there used to be a huge buyer in the market. Now that buyer's turned to a seller. What do we do? Who's buying this, uh, this debt? And we're seeing prices kind of move around as we get, get, go through a period of price discovery. So it's important for, for investors to remain nimble, and protect themselves during periods of volatility. So, you know, all of this volatility that we're seeing globally, it's important for investors to be able to protect themselves. So this is where using ETFs can greatly benefit investors that want to either reallocate their portfolios to rapidly adjust to changing market dynamics. Maybe it's going short, you know, choosing to wait out the volatility while earning attractive yield like ZST or in one of our new ETFs, ZUCM or BMO USD cash management ETF. You know, take capture a five, five and a half percent yield, sit on the sidelines and wait out that volatility. We're seeing regular investors do that. Or potentially now it's time to buy the dip. Go add duration to your portfolios as rates have risen. Maybe they've peaked. If you believe that, you know, we're seeing a lot of investors look at ZFL and ZTL to express those views. All in all, ETFs provide excellent tools to help investors navigate these challenging markets by providing very targeted, diversified exposure in a very liquid manner. And it's very efficient to turn on and turn off this, these types of exposures in a rapidly changing environment. So you know, when you see volatility, when you hear volatility, look to ETFs as the tools you need to help you navigate. Great. Thanks, Matt. Want to reduce the risk of market timing or increase near-term growth? Our new range of BMO Structured Outcome ETFs can help you dial down risk or dial up equity returns. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZOCT, ZUEA, and ZEBA. Last but not least, um. The U.S. earnings season has started, and we've seen lots of headlines uh, recently in the news around this. Uh, we saw some big technology companies already report, such as Microsoft and Google. How are the technology sector earnings so far, and how do you get exposure to this space in the current volatile market we're in? So from an earnings perspective, uh, as you mentioned, you know, we just went through some of the largest tech earnings. And during the season, you know, there were concerns regarding earnings growth. And while things did get slower on some, some parts of the earnings, it was not as drastic as many had predicted. We saw Microsoft deliver much better than expected earnings. 
their results showed that they are strongly positioned in the cloud and AI races. You know, they have a strong foot, foothold in the cloud infrastructure and coupled with its close relationship with uh, OpenAI, or as we know it, ChatGPT, puts them uh, in a strong position to capitalize on that AI demand and that growth. And that's why we saw once they reported, they, they had a positive reaction from the market. However, you know, if you look at kind of Google or even Meta, their top line earnings are really strong for both of them. However, you know, if you look at Google, for example, their main ad revenue business had a very strong quarter. We saw growth uh, compared to their last year, uh, uh, last year, this quarter uh, earnings. So both search ad and YouTube ad saw double digit growth, which is very impressive. However, we did see their cloud revenue had a miss. And that's why, you know, we saw earnings there or the, uh, the stock take a hit there because as Google's dominant search business matures, you know, investors were looking to, for the cloud unit to take the lead on growth. And one thing in technology uh, sector for these companies is always providing that growth uh, for investors for the future. In terms of, you know, some of the positives that we did see, you know, these companies had deeply cut costs from start of the year. They retooled their ad businesses and they limited new spending to what they saw as more solid bets within their sector, uh, such as AI and augmented reality. So for augmented reality, you know, we saw Meta again coming out and saying that they'll be spending uh, billions of dollars on reality labs. Uh, which is working on augmented uh, uh, reality glasses and software. Another positive that did come out of this uh, earnings was we did see digital advertisement marketing showing signs of recovery. And this is important because it it shows that, you know, businesses are willing to spend on marketing and ads. So it does show that there is some uh, economic improvement. And that's why a lot of, a lot of people look at these uh, numbers uh, to see what the economic sentiment was, the business sentiment is. However, you know, there, there is still a bit of headwind for these companies. We did see uh, Meta, uh, their executives, uh, come and say that next year uh, they could see, you know, uh, broader economic conditions weaken. And that's why there's a lot of market and macro uncertainty in terms of their total revenue for next year. And that's why we, we saw... NASDAQ and a lot of these tech companies started selling off after earnings, even though uh, at the top level, they had very strong uh, uh, growth, uh, not just on their revenue, but uh, as well on their bottom line. Here to date, we have seen the sector has had a strong, uh, strong year. But looking forward, you know, I would say taking a more disciplined approach is much more prudent. Still a lot of headwinds such as geopolitical tensions, you know, not just in Europe, but also in the Middle East. We still have rising rates and inflation uh, fears. And finally, you know, uh, can the Fed achieve that soft landing that everyone is talking about? While those challenges remain, I would say it's pivotal moment where we want to, we're waiting to see that magnitude of economic pullback that we haven't seen yet. And that's why these companies have had that strong uh, year-to-date return. The best way I would say, you know, currently to get exposure to the technology sector, you know, there is higher volatility in this sector compared to some of the other sectors in the market. So investors can gain exposure through ZWT, which is the BMO covered call technology ETF. It provides a good balance between upside market participation and income. 
this is a sector where you know income is very low uh you know a lot of these companies don't really pay dividends however you know be able to harness that higher volatility and doing a covered call strategy on it you know be able to harness a 5% yield in terms of year to date returns it has had a strong return of 45% approximately and the etf holds you know 30 technology names top names being blue chip names such as google alpha google or alphabet amazon microsoft and apple finally i'll just say you know having a well diversified portfolio uh, in this market environment is very important you know you can be defensive but having some growth but having that growth in a more risk controlled manner uh, can help uh, help your portfolio get a much better risk adjusted return going forward great thanks om well, that's all that we have for today. Uh, I just want to thank everyone for listening in and a special thank you to both Matt and Ohm for providing some great insights on the current environment. Uh, and with that, I'll wish everyone a great week and we'll see you next week. Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Matt Montemuro and Om Carmelkar for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Ultra Short-Term Bond ETF, ticker ZST, which offers investors a place to park cash while earning an attractive yield. Our experts also discussed defensive strategies for capital preservation. The BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWC, provides exposure to a dividend-focused portfolio while earning call option premiums. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the ETF Center at BMOETFs.com. That's BMOETFS.com. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.